The Secret Church Podcast is a resource from Radical.net. For The Secret Church 15 study guide and other resources that go along with this audio, visit Radical.net slash SC15. This is Secret Church 15, Episode 6. I'd say we're going to pick it up, but I don't know how much faster we can go, so we're just going to keep at the same speed and hit... These two issues probably in this section uh, together, uh, because we're going to spend a good bit of time in sexuality and leading in that into that slavery. So let's let's just go ahead and dive right into this issue that I think we have a tendency to think is a 19th century kind of civil war issue. Um, when all across the South, somebody would say the Christian South, pastors and church members right here in places like Alabama and other Southern states were buying and selling and trading and using and abusing predominantly African slaves, without question, one of the darkest periods in not just American history, but American Christian history, and makes a passage like 1 Timothy 6, 1 through 2, all the more sensitive. So listen to these words. Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better, since those who benefit benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Teach and urge these things. So as soon as we read that, we think, is Paul promoting slavery? Like, is the New Testament endorsing slavery? And even when we start to look at the rest of Scripture, we're about to see, in the Old Testament even, we think, does God support slavery? This has been one of the most significant questions that's been posed to Christianity in light of the practice of slavery by Christians in Europe and America. So what does the Bible teach about slavery? Well, this is where we've got to step back and look at slavery in history because world history is filled with various types of slavery. So when I say slavery, many images pop into your mind that that represent all kinds of different injustices. We need to realize, though, that slavery describes many different practices in the history of the world, some of which are far worse than others. So think first about Hebrew servanthood, Leviticus chapter 25, which was set up for impoverished Israelites to become servants in order to provide for themselves and their families. It was basically God's provision for those who fell into poverty to be able to escape poverty. They wouldn't be treated as like we think of slave, but more as a hired servant, as a worker would enter into a contractual agreement with an employer to work in a household until he could establish himself as a free and full citizen again. So that was Hebrew servanthood, extremely different for example, than slavery in southern states. Then you have slavery that exists in the New Testament times, Greco-Roman slavery, which was totally different than Hebrew servanthood. Deeply ingrained in the Roman Empire, some say about 50 or 60 million slaves with all kinds of different pictures of slavery. Some who did all kinds of different works, or some were teachers, others craftsmen, managers, cooks, even government officials, even slaves who owned slaves themselves. Many people would sell themselves into slavery in order to gain Roman citizenship and enter into Roman society. And in some of these ways, slavery was actually humane, even helpful, provided stability in different venues, provided opportunities beyond slavery. So the goal is here not to paint a picture, idealistic picture of slavery. So a slave was still a slave, in many ways marginalized, powerless, often prone to disgrace or insult, but not all forms of slavery in world history look exactly like we think slavery, especially in the United States in 19th century. So you've got indentured servanthood. It was popular in colonial America. 
or the African slave trade, which is obviously something that in more recent history we are familiar with and just the horrors that are associated with it. So what we've got to do is we've got to think through not just slavery in one. So when we read 1 Timothy 6, we've got to realize that's a passage that's being written to a certain group of people in a certain time period. And so we've got to make sure not to impose all of our thoughts immediately on that time period. We've got to get in the shoes of those who are reading certain words in the Old Testament or the New Testament and then think through how does that apply to the way we think about slavery today. So world history filled with all types of slavery, biblical history filled with various perspectives on slavery, meaning that the way Leviticus addresses Hebrew servanthood in the Old Testament is different than the way Paul addresses Greco-Roman slavery in the New Testament. So in all of scripture, it's imperative for us to realize that slavery was not a part of creation. In other words, it was not a part of God's original design in Genesis 1. It is not a part of God's ultimate desire in Revelation 21. So slavery is a product of sin. It's a product of sin in a fallen world, which leads us to realize that whenever we see slavery mentioned or addressed in the Bible, what we're seeing is specific situations in a sinful world that warrant specific instructions to a sinful world. Leviticus, 1 Timothy would be examples. The realization is biblical instructions concerning slavery then do not imply biblical approval of slavery. So we've got to realize that from the start. Slavery, not God's design, not God's desire, product of sin. And the picture in scripture is God leading his people in the midst of a sinful system where slavery is prevalent. So slavery in scripture then, on a whole, the Bible condemns slavery for all sorts of obvious reasons that scripture makes clear. The Bible condemns slavery that undermines God's creation, that creates a superiority and inferiority. We have equal dignity before God. Slavery functionally denies that dignity and in that way dishonors God. Abraham Lincoln did not come with the idea with all men are created equal. God did. In Genesis 1, Job 31, Galatians 3, James 2. We're equally submissive to God, slaves and masters alike. We will receive equal justice from God. And this is where Ephesians 6, 9 says, He who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. In other words, Paul's saying there, Masters, don't forget you have a master who will be just with you based on how you treat those who are working for you. The Bible condemns slavery that violates God's word. And clear, unequivocal language, Scripture speaks specifically against slavery in two ways in particular. One, the Bible denounces physical abuse when it's associated with servanthood or slavery, Exodus 21. And the Bible denounces human trafficking, Exodus 21, 1 Timothy 1, where you see enslavers mentioned. Anyone who kidnaps people for sale as slaves is unholy, profane, and denying the gospel, 1 Timothy chapter 1. I want to emphasize that because if Christians in the 18th, 19th century were believing the Bible on this, then slavery never would have existed like it did in the South. Slavery existed in the South not because the Bible is silent on slavery or the Bible doesn't speak to enslaving and selling slaves. And pastors, church members who use the Bible to justify slavery were living in sin. And I emphasize this because this is not just a thing of the past. It's happening around us in the world today, and the Bible condemns it and compels us to do something about it. Now, the Bible prohibits slavery, speaks against slavery, condemns slavery in all these ways. And then, so think Hebrew servanthood, Roman slavery, where people are even voluntarily becoming servant slaves in these cases. So those cases, the Bible regulates slavery. And so 
We don't have time to dive into the whole picture in Leviticus, but in Old Testament, God mandates physical protection for slaves. In places like Exodus 21, God provides financial provision for slaves. God ensures caring supervision of slaves, and God provides eventual freedom from slavery. So a Hebrew servant or slave couldn't be held for more than six years unless for some reason they chose to remain a servant or a slave. Every six years, all the slaves in Israel would be released so that they This wouldn't be a perpetual state for anyone unless somebody chose that. So you've got that whole picture in the Old Testament, just verse after verse after verse. Carrying over to the New Testament, even where you've got a whole book like Philemon written to persuade a slave owner to forgive a slave's debt and to set him free. So in these ways, the Bible regulates slavery. And it's in circumstances like that. So think 1 Timothy, then Ephesians, Colossians, that the Bible encourages slaves. And I, I set up all that background just to make sure we're clear. In 1 Timothy 6, this is not Paul speaking to a 10-year-old girl that's been trafficked for sex in Nepal. This is Paul speaking to the many Christians among 50, 60 million Greco-Roman slaves who are working different jobs and households. And the Bible says to them, here's how to live. Honor unbelieving masters for the glory of God. And for the advancement of the gospel, Titus 2, 9 and 10, bond servants are to be submissive to their owners and everything. They're to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, not showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. That's a great phrase. Work in such a way that you adorn the gospel. So see what Paul is driving at here. This is a missionary motivation. Honor unbelieving masters. Work hard so they see the glory of God and the goodness of the gospel in and through you. In a way that we, we would be exhorted as students and employees, let's work hard for the glory of God and the advancement of the gospel. Even the way Paul talks here reminds us that Christianity is not aimed first at social reform. If the purpose of Christianity was primarily to change societal structures, then Paul wouldn't be speaking like this. Instead, we we hear Paul saying, work against the system of slavery. Instead, Paul, keep in mind, he's already denounced trafficking early in 1 Timothy. So that's not what we're talking about here. He says, live for the salvation of your masters. Christianity is not primarily aimed at social reform. Christianity is aimed first at personal redemption, which then leads to social reform. As people are redeemed, they begin to transform societal structures. The key is the heart of people. That's how the Bible primarily addresses slavery, by aiming for personal redemption, personal transformation. In this way, Murray J. Harris said, the gospel lays the explosive charge that ultimately leads to the detonation and the destruction of slavery. So honor unbelieving masters and respect believing masters. Work heartedly and serve selflessly because this is a way the Christian should live. This is where we see that ultimately the Bible redeems slavery, meaning God's word takes slavery like it does so many other things, a product of sin, and turns it into a powerful image of God's goodness. Think about the beauty of Christ and the reality that our master has become our servant, Philippians 2, 5. He washed his disciples' feet, John 13. He took the form of a slave. He didn't come to be served, but to serve, Mark 10. And this is the essence of Christianity. Our master has become our servant and we have become his slaves in all the right ways. In such a way that when Paul looks for a word to describe himself at the beginning of Romans, he says, I'm a slave. I'm a doulos. I'm a servant of Christ Jesus. And Christ is a good master and we're his glad slaves. So as slaves of Christ, living in a culture of slavery, And here's the deal. I knew all the above until I went to Nepal about a year ago and I saw the realities of modern day slavery and sex trafficking face to face. And I walked through these villages where these girls are taken by sex traffickers. And then I walked through the city streets where they're used and abused and drugged and broken and raped repeatedly. And this is their life with no hope of getting out. 
And again, I'm reading. I was reading Luke during that time and just to come across. Love your neighbor as yourself. And I just, I think, what if this is my little girl? And uh, I found myself weeping like I haven't wept in a long time. And compelled to look at my life. And I would call us to look at our lives. This is a reality. I just think about the numbers we talked about earlier and the children that are represented even in that, as well as men and women. So I exhort us, let's plead before God. And what I did is just put ways you can pray in your guide to use this study guide as a guide to pray for victims of slavery and particularly sex slavery for their strength and salvation, that they would be found by the one who came to seek and save the lost. Pray for their protection, freedom, and for justice. Pray for their hope and healing. Pray for victims in these ways. Pray for traffickers. Let's pray for traffickers, for conviction and repentance and salvation. Pray for criminal networks to be dismantled. Pray for oppressors to be arrested and prosecuted. In other words, pray that either God would save them or smite them. Pray for governments, for corruption that allows for slavery, even foster slavery to cease. Pray for implementation of just legislation, for discernment and forming alliances to fight slavery. And pray for the church to awaken to this issue for advocates and laborers to emerge, to unite against injustice. So let's plead before God. Don't underestimate the importance of praying. Like, is there any kind of regular praying in your life for those who are enslaved in the world? I encourage you to build that into your prayer life. And let's participate with God in working for justice and mercy and kindness in a world of slavery around us. Micah chapter 6, verse 6 through 8. Christ compels us to that action. And don't just think it's over there. I mentioned, I fly back from Nepal, I get into Atlanta, and I drive across I-20 back to Birmingham and come to find out that this is, it's called, I-20 is called the Sex Trafficking Superhighway. And what's happening at truck stops all along that interstate. There are ways we can reach out in our community right around us, in cities right around us to address this issue. And even to hear testimony from Vietnam, just may the freedom that is found in Christ alone be made known in a world of slavery. Thank you for listening. You can find more episodes from Secret Church and thousands of other free resources at Radical.net.